Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Welcome to New Reflections. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein. I'm joined by Pamela Howard. Hello. How are we doing today? We're doing great, and today is going to be a great, great show. We have a show that's all about breast augmentation. This is Breast Augmentation 101. Today we're going to talk about everything you ever wanted to know about breast augmentation, breast implants, and all the things that have been in the news about them. There's some stuff that come out that's come out recently. And even things that you may be hearing about down the line, some new products will be coming out. We're, we're privileged to be joined by Dr. Michael uh, Ophelein. Uh, he's going to be joining us in just a little while. He's the vice president of, uh, one of the vice presidents of Allergan. Allergan makes breast implants, among many other things, including Botox and lots of other stuff. But we're going to have him on to talk about Allergan's breast implant line. And he will tell us all about what they've got and what's coming up in the future. For now, let's talk about breast augmentation. This is one of the most popular procedures done year after year. I mean, thousands and thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands of breast augmentations are done annually. And uh, there's over 10 million women in the world that have had breast augmentation done. When someone comes to me for a breast augmentation, we spend a lot of time talking about all the different options. So let's go through what I call breast augmentation 101. A breast implant can be put in in four different approaches, you can, four different incisions. You can do it at the edge of the areola. It's called the periareolar approach. You can do it underneath the breast, called the inframammary fold or the inframammary approach. You can do it in the underarm area, which is called the axillary approach, or you can do it in the belly button, which is called the umbilical approach. Now, the umbilical approach, also called uh, the tuba, trans-umbilical breast augmentation, is not one of my favorite procedures. I don't do it, and I don't actually recommend it for most patients. If you really, really like the idea and you want to do it, it can be done, and it can be done safely, and, and you can get good results with it. But there are some issues that I personally don't like, which is why I don't do that operation. The, the issues that I see with the umbilical approach are it leaves a visible scar uh, around the belly button, and you're operating blind through a tunnel. It's all done by feel and blindly. If there's bleeding around the pocket, you can't see it and you can't directly control it. You don't really have direct control of the dissection of the pocket. And one of the more important problems that I have with it is you void the warranty on the implant when you put it in that way because they're not really made to be put in that way. Uh, so for all those reasons, I don't recommend the umbilical approach and I personally don't perform it. The other three I do on a regular basis, but it depends upon the patient as to what the best choice is. And generally speaking, I prefer the periareolar approach, or putting the incision at the edge of the areola. Areola is usually a little darker than the surrounding skin, and that is a nice contrast to hide the scar. Generally speaking, after you've healed, that scar is pretty much invisible. It really is not easily seen, and in some cases, you can hardly see it at all even when you're looking for it. Also, that gives me direct access to get down through the breast tissue and into the muscle. and I'm a, I'm, I can shape the pocket well. I have absolute control of everything I'm doing. That is a good 
way to approach the operation, in my opinion, and it works well for just about any type of breast. The, uh, it, it also doesn't get changed by the positioning of the breast. And I, I mentioned that because when we talk about putting the incision underneath the breast or in the inframammary fold, as it's called, you've got to guess where that fold is going to end up after you put the implants in in order to hide it properly where it really ought to be. I mean, you hope when you make that incision, at the end of the operation, the incision is going to end up exactly in that fold. So when the breast sits naturally and it has that little bit of gentle sag, the fold of the skin together is going to hide where the scar is. But when you're dealing with a woman that has smaller breasts and you're making their breasts larger, you very well may be moving where that fold is. Because if you have a small breast, you're making it bigger, the distance from the nipple to the fold underneath the breast is going to get longer. It's going to get bigger as the breast gets bigger. So that fold is actually going to physically move downward a little bit. And you, you have to plan your incision a little lower than where the actual fold is before you put the implant in to try and get it to sit exactly in the fold. Now, surgeons that do this a lot are pretty good at it but we're never 100% accurate. So sometimes you will have an incision that ends up being a little bit on the base of the breast, a little too high, or an incision that ends up being a little bit below the fold, which is a little too low. And for that reason, especially when I'm dealing with a smaller breasted patient that wants to get bigger, I prefer to put the incision uh, around the areola so I don't have to worry about where that fold's gonna end up. And then the axillary approach seems like a great approach and it, it can be. The axillary approach is when you're doing it through the underarm. Now, there are some limitations of that. You're operating through a tunnel, although it's not blind. You can see. We use uh, an endoscope, and that allows us to get real close and see everything well. We are operating at a distance, which isn't that big an issue. But you just don't have quite the same control with the axillary approach as you do with the other incisions. And the real reason that I don't do that that often down here, I really only do it by patient special request if they decide that they like the idea of it and they want it more than the other approaches. I don't recommend it down here in Miami because down here it's warm most of the year and folks wear a lot of tank tops and sleeveless things and their underarms show. If you have a really well-heeled incision, you really can't see it. It's a nice place to hide a scar if it heals well. But if it doesn't heal well, and you have a little bit of a thick or dark scar there, you're going to be showing everybody you have breast implants every time you scratch your head or you point at something or you reach for something. So it's just not a great thing to have down here in Miami or any other warm climate area if the scars don't go well. Have you ever seen that before, Pamela? I actually, my breast augmentation incisions are in my axilla that I'm, I come from the school of thought with the axilla and I think it's important for surgeons to place that incision in the armpit in one of the natural creases and folds and wrinkles that already exists I have seen some um, certain skin types where that incision might not be great but you know when you have darker skin types you got to be very diligent where you put the incision anywhere on them but I, and it can be complicated, especially in the warmer climates, to have that incision during the summertime because you can't wear deodorant until that incision heals. And that can become challenging when you have your incision there. But it is a benefit just with around the um, areola or under the breast. I agree, that incision can be great, but you, it's really up to the patient Right. What's best for them, yeah. Yeah, I, I always leave it up to the patient to decide. But if the scar does not heal well, if you got to have a bad scar, having it at the edge of the areola is more discreet than having it in your underarm. Absolutely. So, and you yeah. can even wear pasties. Well, folks down here like to go to the beach and wear almost nothing. And <laughs> they can do that and not actually show their scar. Uh, then we come to, you go under the muscle, you go over the muscle. And I do 95-plus percent of my implants under the muscle. Uh, the reason I do that is it's a na more natural looking result. And, yeah, I uh, think the implant being optimal position. Yeah, I, I think the, um, the under the muscle helps you look more natural. It helps it, uh, uh, it protect the implant. It's just a nice way to have the implant sitting. Um, 
so I prefer to put it under the muscle in most cases. And, well, the only time I'll put it over the muscle is when the um, the patient is really active with their muscle. We're talking about a professional athlete, a gymnast. Uh, I had a, a trapeze artist once. You know, people that use that muscle at a really high level, swimmers, for example. Uh, and those patients use their uh, their muscles on a very high level, and so by disturbing them by in interrupting the muscle or dividing it to put the implant in may not be the best choice. So for those folks, we end up putting it, also with bodybuilders, where they're being judged in the form and the shape of the muscle, we generally leave the muscle intact and put the implants over the muscle. But for most patients, I think going under the muscle is going to be the best look and the best uh, just physiologic place to have the implant, having the, that nice piece of muscle on top of it. Um, so... Uh, the one thing I want to make clear, we're going to be going to break in just a moment. One thing I want to make clear is that uh, an augmentation is not a lift. If you're thinking about having an augmentation and you have a, a little bit of a sag to your breast, it's important that you understand even putting in a huge implant is not going to give you a lift. That's kind of a misunderstanding a lot of people have. They think, oh, I'll just get a big implant, it'll look fine. Not really. If you have a sagging breast and you put a big implant in, what you end up with is a bigger sagging breast. But if you have sag and you do a lift, you're going to have a nicer looking breast. So if there's a sag, chances are if there's enough sagging in the breast or what we call medically ptosis, you're going to need to have a lift. Bear that in mind if you're thinking about having a breast augmentation. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about saline and silicone, and we're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Ophelein, uh when we come back from this commercial break right after these few words on New Reflections. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. We're talking about breast augmentation, and uh, we were just discussing 
uh, some of the things that you may want to think about when you're considering having breast augmentation at different incisions, whether you go under or over the muscle. We're going to get back to more things that you need to think about, more information about breast augmentation. But let's talk a little bit about breast implants. We were going to get into saline versus silicone implants, and uh, we're going to do that when we, uh, when we go to uh, our guest, Dr. Michael Ophelein. Dr. Ophelein is the vice president uh, of many things, among them global medical affairs, for Allergan. Allergan is one of the largest manufacturers of breast implants in the world, and we're privileged to have Dr. Ophelein with us. Good, uh, uh, good, good morning, good afternoon. I guess you're in the, in the West Coast, so it's good morning, Dr. Ophelein. Thank you, Dr. Rubenstein. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you. I appreciate you coming on the show. Allergan has something that's unique for folks that are thinking about having breast augmentation. And I think it's a great uh, tool for people to use to decide what size they think they might like to be. Uh, tell us about it. You have a home sizing kit that you make available to the patients. Yeah, so the, the, the pre-consultation kit is, is a nice tool for women who are thinking about um, breast augmentation because it, it's something they can do in the privacy of their home. They can investigate it. Uh, through uh, our portal, uh, which is uh, natural.com, or our Facebook page. And it, it allows a woman to try on different sizes, uh, go through the educational material, and, and have a private um, assessment of, of her new image. And uh, I think this is very valuable uh, in the decision-making process. Yeah, I think it's a, a terrific tool for people to use. It's a nice way to take some time and get some sense for volume. Uh, for, for those of you who may not fully understand what it is, this kit comes with a bra that you can use and then fill with these small sachets, uh, you know, little fluid-filled pockets. And by using them, it gives you some idea of what you might look like with varying amounts of augmentation. So you can do this at home, you stand in front of the mirror, put a, a shirt on over it, and try out different sizes and, and see exactly how you might look. Now, if someone wanted to order it, you mentioned that trail.com, they can go there or maybe uh, submit something through your Facebook page. What is the cost of getting this sent to you? So the, the, um, the pre-consultation kit is, I think, $39.99 plus a $5 shipping fee. So it's a, it's a very nice value, and uh, on the website there's additional... Uh, uh, educational values of, uh, regarding uh, breast implant um, uh, choices and uh, uh, issues regarding warranties, uh, issues regarding uh, frequently asked questions and the like, all of which make it a nice value to go visit. Yeah, I think it's a worthwhile investment. Forty-five bucks to get the peace of mind knowing that you have some sense for what you're going to look like now, this is something that a lot of doctors do in their office, uh, have been doing it for years, which is using old implants, uh, never been in anybody, don't worry, we're not recycling these things, but these are sample implants that you can use and, and insert into your bra during a consultation and get some sense for how big you might be, but we'll talk a little bit later in the show about what my thoughts are on trying to find exactly the right size, because one thing that's important, I think, to mention since we're talking about this is this is not a way to tell your surgeon exactly the volume that you want to have. What it is is a good sense for you to get a, an idea uh, of how big or medium or small you imagine your augmentation should be because there's nothing exact about putting these little pockets of fluid into the bra and guessing a volume, nor really is there anything exact about taking implants of a certain size and testing different ones out and getting a, an idea of which one you like best because, frankly, what it looks like in your bra is not what it's going to look like in uh, the operating room. So you, you just need to uh, bear that in mind, but it is a great tool. Now, tell me a little bit about the implants that Allergan has available. I know, of course, there's always the saline filled and the silicone. Uh, tell us about your offerings of implants. So uh, Allergan has a very uh, broad and diversified collection of implants including uh, multiple different sizes, styles, projections, uh, and volumes. And, and the implants come with uh, different fills, so you, you can have a saline-filled implant or a silicone-filled gel implant and different surfaces, which uh, could be uh, smooth or rough or textured. 
And all of these create a nice um, uh, collection of choices for uh, the patient and the surgeon. Uh, as you were speaking to technical issues earlier, um, you know, whether or not you put the implant underneath the muscle or above the muscle, all of these weigh into the decision-making to have the best uh, outcome, uh, individualizing therapy based on the woman's activities, as you were speaking to Dr. Rubenstein, and how those uh, lifestyle choices play into uh, the, the type, style, and and sure, fill and texture sure. of the implant are very, yeah. very important. Yeah, you have to take all that stuff into account. I mean, a person's lifestyle is important. As I was saying, if you have a, a gymnast or a bodybuilder that makes their livelihood out of standing up on a stage and showing off their muscles, might not be someone you want to be dividing the muscles on. And, and there is some consideration whether you're going to use a smooth or textured implant or uh, what, what type of profile. And actually, I find that the profile is one of the more important choices you're going to make. And when I, by profile, for, for everyone listening, what I mean is the amount of projection of the implant. The, the, with Allergan implants, they come with uh, three, when you're talking about round implants, they come with three projections. There's sort of a low, medium, and high profile. And in my practice, I either use the medium profile or the high profile, and of course there are lots of other choices. It really is a huge variety of implants that can be used. But by thinking about high profile and moderate profile, one thing to mention is that the higher profile implant gives you more projection, but it's more narrow. So for very thin or narrow chested women, sometimes using the high profile is a good choice, even if you're not looking for that added projection, just so you don't create too wide a breast on a small chest. And conversely, if you are dealing with someone who's more broad-chested, using a high-profile implant may be too narrow a base for their breast. So you may want to use a moderate profile, or in some cases, maybe even something a little bit more broad, depending upon what you're trying to achieve. So everything that the patient's looking for plays into your choice of implant style, shape, projection, and uh, really... The, the patient defines which one is going to give them the best result because all we're trying to do is always give the patient the results that they came to to get. They're always, they have a goal in mind. We're trying to understand that and put it in. Now, it seems like, and tell me if I'm wrong, I believe that you guys have a, a variety of implants that are exactly the same, meaning that the saline versus silicone. If I wanted to use a silicone implant to achieve something, you have uh, virtually the equivalent implant in saline and silicone varieties so that no matter which the patient decides that they're more comfortable with, we can still get the same look. That's right, Dr. Rubenstein. So that, that, that is a choice that is basically duplicated both silicone and uh, silicone fill and saline. And, and there's a lot of reasons someone might choose uh, a saline or silicone uh, filled implant. But the choice uh, anatomically and the style of implant um, all, all are available for that individual based on their anatomy and lifestyle. So we've been using, I've been using almost exclusively Allergan implants for a long time. And I'm very comfortable with the, the implants that we use. I'm very happy and my patients are happy with the results. But there's always new stuff coming out. Tell us what might be coming down the line that we might look for in the coming years. I know there's stuff being used in Europe already that we don't have here. What's new and, and maybe, now before we broach on this subject, I should say, since uh, we're talking about it, we're, we're probably going to talk about some things, some devices, some implants that are not available in the United States. So I don't mean to suggest that this is something that someone should go rush out to their plastic surgeon, their certified plastic surgeon, and ask if uh, they can get this uh, for themselves. But there are going to be some things that may be coming up in the next few years that will be FDA approved in years to come that you may look for in the news and, and maybe consider in the future. Tell us, what's going to be the latest and greatest in implants in the next few years? No, that's a good point, Dr. Rubenstein. Uh, the, um, uh, each, each five, ten years or so, there's a new generation of implants. And uh, over the 40-some-odd years of breast augmentation and reconstruction, there's been uh, three full generations of implants, and we're coming up to the fourth generation of implant that's currently under review uh, with the uh, Food and Drug Administration. Uh, these implants, as you speak, uh, are available outside the U.S., but not available inside the U.S., and, and they have a, uh, a shape to them, and they have a different type of fill, uh, m more like a cohesive 
gel or a gummy bear fill uh, that yields a, a, a different um, uh, option for women who who may need uh, uh, you know some different change or a change in their anatomical uh, projection. So, these right, so let's talk about let's talk a little bit about that. You mentioned the gummy bear. That's kind of a buzzword. That's something that has actually been in the news not too long ago. Mm-hmm. As sort of a gee whiz, this is new and exciting, and, and we'll be showing up in a doctor's office near you type of thing. Uh, the gummy bear implants t- speak to implants that are really, really thick in silicone, uh, meaning that if you can cut a piece of pie out of them, you cut a little wedge out of the implant, the rest of the implant kind of keeps the shape of a pie with a wedge cut out. It doesn't flow or, or begin to bulge or, or pour out the way that the first generation silicone implants would have just poured forth as soon as you cut the shell. So these, all the implants, as I understand it now, have a certain amount of cohesiveness to them, of, of sticking together. Isn't that right? Even the, you know, for, for those who understand the implants, the current silicone implants, the style 15s, the style 20s, the gel that's in them in the United States still does have a certain amount of cohesion to them. Yeah, that, that's right. So the cohesion is is the flow uh, or the uh, ability of the silicone to stick together, and it can vary from something that's more like water to something that's more like molasses to this latest uh, generation that is really uh, like a you know a gummy bear. I think is the best description. Okay. Um, well. The, the thing to, right, I mean, the gummy bear thing is what always makes things clear because you can kind of envision how much a gummy bear holds its shape. And so these new implants are going to be even more firm than the current implants in terms of holding their shape, yet still somewhat soft to the touch, right? Yes, that's the goal, to have a, a fantastic aesthetic result but, but also uh, achieve the anatomical projection and shape that the woman desires. Okay. Uh, well, there's something else that's been in the news in terms of the, besides the gummy bear that was in the news a, a while back, something that came up this, this moment, uh, just in the last week or two, and we need to talk about it. So I'm going to mention there has been a, an FDA notice that was issued just looking for uh, the, uh, an association. Apparently there's been an association with breast implants, whether they're saline or silicone, it hasn't been differentiated, but women with breast implants and a very rare condition called ALCL, and ALCL stands for anaplastic large cell lymphoma. This condition has been uh, diagnosed in anywhere from 34 to 60 women uh, throughout the world, is my understanding. 34, I believe, is the number in the United States, and there have been some cases outside the United States there's some question as to whether some cases are being double counted, but there's at least 34 cases and maybe as many as 60 in the world. And it doesn't seem like a whole lot of cases when you're talking about over 10 million women with breast implants, but there's a couple interesting things about this. Uh, one is that this condition is detectable in the fluid that sits around the implant, because there's always a little bit of natural fluid there, and in the the capsule or the scar tissue that forms around the implant, it's a natural response in the body. And by testing that fluid or that scar tissue, the capsule, that's where the diagnosis has been made in, in these patients. And the symptoms that come on when, you, when women have gotten this problem have been a pretty large filling of fluid, something we call a seroma, a sort of like a little water balloon growing in, in the breast where this fluid is being made and expanding, so you're, you're getting a little pocket filled with fluid. And that becomes painful and uncomfortable just because of the pressure of the fluid going. And that's the first sign that I'm aware of people that have, have noticed and then that have gone on to, diagnose, uh, to be diagnosed with ALCL. Uh, and, in fact, that condition is cured, as far as we understand, by removing that fluid, the implant, and the capsule, and even in some cases an implant has been put back in, so the patient's never really without a breast implant, but they do have to get exchanged and cleaned out and have all that tissue removed to what we believe to be cured uh, of this condition. Now, tell me, I know Allergan is, is anxious to, to help with the registry that has been set up by the American Society of Plastic Surgeons and the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. 
what what is and what will be Allergan's role in monitoring this and making sure that we continue to provide safe procedures for our patients? Yeah. Oh, thank thank you, Dr. Rubenstein, for bringing this up. Yes, on January 26th, the FDA uh, communicated um, a possible uh, safety concern, and, and this is not an unusual event for the FDA um, to alert consumers and, and uh, physicians as to a possible safety issue. Uh, and what they concluded that is there, there's a potential for a rare type of lymphoma uh, called anaplastic large cell lymphoma uh, that may be associated with no evidence of causation with breast implants. So uh, in the agency communication, uh, they uh, described uh, a potential number of cases, as you did, between 34 and 60. And um, they used um, uh, National Cancer Institute um, uh, population-based numbers uh, of about three cases per 100 million in the general population within the United States. So they then indexed that risk to uh, being uh, much, much less than being hit by lightning. Uh, so this is a very, very, very rare uh, potential association. And, and because it's so rare, Dr. Rubenstein, it's difficult to uh, establish cause and effect. And I think that's a very important issue. But there's a couple other points to bring up. Uh, not only is this exceedingly rare, uh, this condition occurs in women with and without breast implants. And um, the uh, risk of this is so much lower than, say, uh, adenocarcinoma of the breast, which is a different type of breast. Right, that, that's that's a very important that's a very important uh, point, and uh, we're going to be going to break shortly. And I just want to get this point uh, out before we uh, we wrap up uh, with you, Dr. Ophelin. This is not breast cancer we're talking about. ALCL is not breast cancer. These implants, in fact, uh, saline nor silicone implants at any time throughout the history of implants and breast augmentation has never been linked to breast cancer. It is not an increased risk for breast cancer. In fact, there's even been a paper in, in the past that suggested that your self-exams are easier to do because of the implant pushing the breast tissue forward. Uh, I don't know if that's true, but I, I would certainly say that it's not something that has ever been shown to increase risk for breast cancer. ALCL is a, is a very, very rare and specific thing. We'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but, you know, of course, I know that Allergan is committed to, uh, con to producing the safest and, and best implants to help patients get great results. I love using the Allergan products. I continue to use them every day in my office, and I know thousands and thousands of surgeons do worldwide. Uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, and uh, it, it's great to have Allergan uh, participate and give us the information. I'm looking forward to seeing more of those gummy bear, or what we've come to call form-stable implants. They may be something that could be exciting for the future, but right now I'm real happy with what you guys give us. Well, thank you, uh, Adam. Uh, we, we're very happy to be on the show and uh, support you and your customers' needs, and uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks for coming on the show, Dr. Offline. And remember, if you're interested in getting one of those uh, pre-consultation kits, you can go to natrell.com. I'm sure you can find it if you navigate through allergan.com. You can also find them on Facebook, uh, on the Allergan Facebook page. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about this ALCL business and the FDA's notification. And then we're going to go on and, and continue talking about all the things you should think about if you're thinking about having breast augmentation. Join us after this short break on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Do you know if kidney disease is affecting you? Are your kidneys healthy? You may have kidney disease and not even be aware of it. 
26 million people have been affected by kidney disease. Teenagers today are being diagnosed with symptoms such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. These conditions can worsen kidney health and cause kidney disease. Be sure to tune in to improve your kidney health with your host, Dr. Rich Snyder, every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. The information you get on this program could help save your life. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr rubenstein.com. That's info at dr rubenstein.com. Now, back to new reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. We were just talking with Dr. Ophelein from Allergan, who told us all about the Allergan's breast implant offerings. And the interesting thing, that, that home pre-consultation kit you may want to look into. Another thing we got into was ALCL, which, again, is uh, something that has been now possibly related to women with breast implants by the FDA. But the numbers are staggering. If you think about the odds, it's really a pretty low likelihood that uh, any patient with breast implants is ever going to have to worry about this. The numbers range in terms of the risk of anywhere from 1 in 165,000 to 1 in half a million uh, that you're going to have this happen. And I, I took a moment and I went to look back at uh, the odds of various things happening. So let's take a look. You are more likely to slip and fall in the shower and die than you are to get ALCL diagnosed uh, in your lifetime. And you're also more likely to die in a car accident. You're more likely to get injured from watching fireworks than you are getting this. You're more likely to get hit by lightning. And I saw somewhere that you were possibly more likely to uh, get hit by a falling asteroid than you were to get this condition in association with breast implants. So bear in mind, the odds are really, really low. You know, I don't think this is something that patients with breast implants need to be overly concerned about. And the one thing to bear in mind is, of course, you always have this in your mind if, in fact, they find some, uh, some correlation between the breast implants and this condition, the symptoms of getting the condition are not subtle. It's something that happens that you will know. You know, you'll get fluid built up around the implant. That's usually the first sign, and that, that usually uh, leads to you going to see your doctor. And if this happens, you can have that fluid and the capsule around the implant and the implant itself removed. You can have it replaced if you wish or not replaced. But once those things are removed, these patients seem to be completely free of the ALCL. So I think that's a pretty good summary. What do you think, Pamela? You're more worried about falling in the shower or the ALCL? I'll take the asteroid personally. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have too much experience with people falling in my life in the last week. Um, No, I... I am not concerned whatsoever about it, and I personally think that there are too many people out there really looking to link breast implants in general to a condition, and nothing is really 100% proven. Nothing is ever really even more closely proven, I, I guess you could say as well. I have breast implants. I've had them for 20 years. I love them. Um, I think that really... 
women are more conscientious of their breast health with breast implants. And there are some reports out there that do indicate that women with breast implants are more likely to go get a mammogram than the women with not. Uh, sure, I'm, I'm sure that's true. And we also mentioned how the, the uh, self-exams are purported to be somewhat easier when you have the implant behind the breast tissue and behind the muscle pushing everything forward. You're able to feel things more easily. There's also been yes. some data showing that uh, there's somewhat of a decreased risk. And when you look at the worldwide incidence of breast cancer and uh, looking at women with and without breast implants, that actually the population of women with breast implants has a somewhat lower risk of developing adenocarcinoma of the breast than uh, the general population. Now, I'm not suggesting that breast implants protect you from cancer, but they certainly uh, have never been shown to increase your risk of breast cancer. And that is still the case. ALCL is not a form of breast cancer, and it's exceedingly, exceedingly rare. In fact, talking about breast cancer, that one in nine women in the United States will develop breast cancer. One in nine. We're talking about uh, ALCL. The chances of a woman with breast implants developing ALCL is anywhere from one in 165,000 to one in a half million. So you have a tremendously higher likelihood, whether you have or don't have breast implants, of developing breast cancer than you do if you have breast implants ever worrying about ALCL. So I think that puts things in perspective. Let's get back to our breast augmentation 101. We were just talking about saline versus silicone right before we spoke with Dr. Ophelein. In my practice, I generally recommend silicone implants for the softest and most natural look and feel. Now, this is a discussion that we have uh, with our patients really uh, since around 2007 when the FDA released the use of silicone implants for general purposes, for using for cosmetic cases like breast augmentation. Um, so it's sort of a, a conversation we're really only having in the last four years or so with our breast augmentation patients, but we've been using silicone implants since their inception for breast reconstruction and in cases where you're doing uh, a, a sort of semi-reconstruction and semi-cosmetic procedures like a lift and augmentation. So we've been using silicone implants throughout the history of breast augmentation and, and breast surgery in one capacity or another. And what I've found is that silicone implants look and feel more natural. And that's not to say that saline implants don't or can't look natural. They can. They can look great. And for many years, all we used in the United States for breast augmentation were saline implants. And the results were fabulous. I mean, I, do you have saline or silicone, family? I have saline, and I personally cannot wait to have mine exchanged to silicone because I'm on my <laughs> third set. I've had This is my third set of saline. And there is a, a downside to saline, and that's the life of the implant. And um, you, You've had I've, some ruptures? you had some failures of the implant? I haven't had complete blowouts, as I would refer to it. <laughs> no flat tires? I, I would, I, yeah, I haven't had complete flats, but what I don't like is the evaporation effect. You know, these are a saltwater product inside a very warm body, and they lose volume over time. And as that volume is lost, the size is decreased, and then you develop rippling. And that's where I am. I cannot wait to go to silicone. Well, that can happen. I think rippling is a good thing to bring up. Uh, you, there's a lot more likelihood. And when, rippling, we should tell everybody, rippling is what you, it sort of looks like waves in the skin, little ripples or indentations in a row in the skin. And it's something you can see uh, through the skin in the shape of the implant. You also see more rippling with textured implants because the textured surface sticks to the, the tissue inside. It doesn't flow quite as well, so it pulls the skin down with it. And so you'll see more rippling generally with textured implants. You also see more rippling with saline implants versus silicone. Silicone seems to flow a little bit nicer. And I, in my experience anyway, I've seen less rippling issues. In fact, I don't think I've ever had to remove or exchange a silicone implant for rippling. Yeah, I haven't seen that either, um, and that's one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to going to silicone on my next yeah. round. <laughs> and I, another thing that I've, I've heard from my patients, when I, take, when I take a patient that has saline implants and we go ahead and exchange to silicone, a lot of them tell me that 
when they had saline implants, they were really aware of uh, having an implant, that they always felt like there was something in there. But when they switched to silicone, because of its flow, because of, of how soft it is against your tissue, they suddenly didn't feel like they had anything in them. I've heard that as well. Of course, I can't speak on that experience. One day I will. But well, maybe um, maybe next year when we do the breast augmentation show, you can tell us. We'll we'll just <laughs> film it and go live, huh? Uh, there you go. Maybe we'll, be doing, maybe we'll be doing a video. Maybe we we'll doing a TV uh, episode at that time. We'll do a documentary, uh, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We can we can do it. Why don't we we can film it and put it on the show, right? Okay. Um, we can do we're going to go to break very soon. I want to mention three things. When I, in my do my consultations, there are three things that uh, patients always want to hear about when they're uh, thinking about having breast augmentation. There's always these three questions, and that is having to do with breastfeeding, the sensation in their nipple, and being able to detect cancer. We're going to discuss all three of those things when we come back from the break. Join us after this short break on New Reflections. Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1 866 472 5792. Again, that's 1 866 472 5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to New Reflections. We've been talking about breast augmentation on this show. We're going to continue talking about the answer to those three things that women always wanted to, want to know about when they come for their consultation. Before we do, let me invite you to call in. If you're listening and you have questions about breast augmentation or anything we've talked about on the show, give us a call, 866-472-5792, and we're happy to take your question on the air and discuss anything that you have in mind. Now, let's talk about those three things. The first thing we're going to talk about is breastfeeding. Having breast augmentation should not affect your ability to breastfeed. In fact, we don't believe that it has any effect at all on your ability to breastfeed because we really don't cut through uh, any significant amount of breast ducts or, or breast gland uh, when we're doing the operation. Depending upon your approach, you might not cut through any of them. Even if you go through the areolar approach, the periareolar around the edge of the areola, you're still not cutting through the majority of the, the breastfeeding glands, and it should not affect your ability to breastfeed. The thing is, there are many women that get their breast implants before they ever have children or ever try to breastfeed. 
And some of those women won't be able to breastfeed anyway. So if you never had a child, you never tried to breastfeed, you just don't know your own body's ability to breastfeed, but we don't believe that having this operation should affect it. Now, anytime you have surgery in any area, you may be affecting that area in one way or another. So it's certainly conceivable that there may be some effect, but millions, I mean, certainly thousands and thousands and thousands of women go on to breastfeed while they have implants without any trouble. And the, it, having the implant doesn't affect the milk in any way. So it's perfectly safe to breastfeed your child while uh, you have breast implants. And ha getting them should not affect your ability to do so. Now, nipple sensation. Nipple sensation can change. It can go up and it can go down. In the vast majority of cases, maybe 80, 85% or more, patients are going to have exactly the same sensation they had before surgery. It can go up and it can go down, and here's why. The nerve that gives you sensation to the nipple starts out, of course, it runs from around your back, from your spine. It runs around your back, around the side of your chest, and then enters the side of the breast and goes up into the nipple. It's in the outer part of the breast, in the part towards the side of your chest, where those nerves are, in, uh, are exposed during breast augmentation. And it's when you're making the pocket. And typically, you can't really see those nerves. So if the nerves get stretched when you're ha having the breast augmentation done, they may get irritated. You may end up with a little bit of hypersensitivity or increased sensation. If the nerves get cut, well, obviously, you may end up with a little decreased sensation. And there's really no way to know when it's happening during surgery, generally speaking, because you can't see these nerves. They're not so easily identified. So with good technique and just general operating, in most cases, the vast majority of cases, the sensation to the nipple should be the same as it is before. If it goes up or down after surgery, that is usually temporary but it can be permanent. There will be a few women that will have a permanent increase in sensation or a permanent decrease in sensation uh, with this operation. But again, the vast majority stays the same. And then the third thing, and we talked about it a little bit already, is cancer detection. Women always want to know, will I still be able to have mammograms and still be able to do self-exams? And as we were talking about before, uh, Pamela, you mentioned that there was some suggestion that, in fact, women with implants go more often and more diligently to get their mammograms done. They are. They're more aware and they're more conscious of their breast. And obviously, they want to protect their investment. So, <laughs> Well, you spend a few thousand dollars uh, improving the appearance and you know, getting the new look. So you, you probably would be more focused on it and want to make sure that everything stays healthy. So I believe that's probably true. And there are, there are studies also that show that women with breast implants uh, are more not only more likely to get mammograms, but they're getting earlier detection. Sure. So well, that's, of that's, anything. That goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. If you, if you mm -hmm. get your mammograms when you're supposed to, uh, these days we're, we're very lucky to live in a time where the technology that we have is able to, dict to detect any potential problem quite early. And uh, it, you're better off having a negative biopsy than watching something for too long a period of time or not knowing that you have something going on. Uh, and then getting a late diagnosis. And thankfully, these days, a lot of women that get diagnosed with breast cancer are much earlier stages than it used to be, and they're much more treatable. So uh, whether you have breast implants or not, you should be getting your mammograms, but you can still do it and, and have your cancer detected. It's never been shown to decrease the detection of cancer in any way by having a breast augmentation done. And one thing I want to talk about now is choosing the right size and shape of implant. And I have a, a way that I do it in my office that is a little different from the way most surgeons do. When you go to a, a consultation, most surgeons will take a look at you and say, okay, you're a 34B, what would you like to be? And, you know, patient would usually say, I'd like to be a full C, something like that. So if you want to be a full C, okay, well, that's going to take 375 cc's. And that's what they're going to get, and that's what they're going to put in. Now, as plastic surgeons, we're pretty good at guessing. And that may be a good volume to get you where you want to be. But in my opinion, I believe every patient is so different and their tissue is so different that trying to guess the implant size may be good in 90% of cases, but that means one in 10 patients are walking around with a result that might have been better had they done it a little differently. And here's how I like to do it. And this is what I recommend that patients do. Even if your surgeon doesn't ask you to do, 
you should do some homework. And your homework is this. Go to Playboy, go to Penthouse, anything with naked breast pictures. I want you to flip through and find five or six pictures that look like something you'd like to have, the type of results that you would like to achieve. And I also want you to find five or six examples of breasts you don't like, because it's going to be real important that your surgeon knows what you think is too big and what you think is too small. Those are just as important as what you want. Now, once you've identified the good and the bad, then you should talk to your surgeon and say, look, doc, this is what I'm looking for. I love this, this picture here. This is just the size I want. This is just the shape I'm looking for. And over here, this one is way too big. This one's too small. I want to be bigger than that. And, and I don't like the shape of this one. It looks too fake or it doesn't look fake enough or whatever it is you're looking for. And that process will help you focus and it will help your surgeon focus. Now, the way that I do the surgery is also a little different. I take those pictures and I put them on the wall in the operating room. And when I'm doing the surgery, I make my incision, I make my pocket, and I put a temporary implant in during surgery called a sizer. And I use those sizers. I might use a couple different shapes and sizes of sizers in the same operation. Because what I'm doing with that sizer is blowing it up to lots of different volumes. We sit the patient up while she's sleeping, and I can see on gravity with her head upright and her chest upright, what volume is going to match all her favorite pictures on the wall and we're also avoiding the ones she doesn't like. So I'm trying to focus in on the range that she gave me and the ideal result that she would like to achieve. And once I blow that, those sizers up to different sizes, I can see 250, I can see 300, I can see 350, and I can see what it's going to look like before I commit to my final implant. Once I see the right shape and size of implant that achieves the very best result for that patient with her breast and her muscle and her tissue, at that moment I know what volume we need to give her the best result. I take out the temporary sizers and I replace them with the permanent implant and we finish the operation. It does take longer to do that and that's why most doctors don't like doing that. But in my opinion, it's an extra half hour for me, but it's a lifetime for my patient. So in my opinion, it's better to make that small investment in time for the good of the patient over the long haul. And that helps me in my practice give the very best results that are customized to each and every patient so I know I'm giving every woman that comes in for breast augmentation as close as I can get to their ideal result that they have shown to me. And so I really believe that makes a big difference and, and I continue to do it that way and I would encourage uh, patients to look for that kind of process if they're looking for breast augmentation. I'd like to say that those pictures are very vital because most women do not wear the right bra size to begin with to really know what size they want to be for their breast augmentation procedure. A lot of women may think that they're a size A cup, but they're really a B or vice versa because they're measuring around their chest wrong. And they and a, a C cup on a 34C bra is not the same as a C cup on a 36C or even a 32C that cup size is very different. So for a patient to come in and say, oh, I want to be a full C or I want to be a full B even, I've heard so many patients say that, their, their mental image of what, that, of what they that's think exactly a full right. B is is not what they envision. Yeah, so it's very exactly important right. to get that picture, yes. Yeah, the patients get an image. Everyone comes to the office with some sense. I always say a patient has this perfect idea, this image in their head of exactly the way they want to look. And by using those pictures, it helps you translate that image from their head into something that you can see and really understand. So it's a process, whether your surgeon asks you to or not, you really ought to go through that process just for your own benefit because it'll help you solidify a lot of things about your choices in breast augmentation that she had never really thought about before just by looking at all these pictures and the different shapes and sizes of breasts and the different elements that you'll discover and you'll find the ones you like will all kind of look the same you'll really define what you're looking for for your ideal result and it's an important thing to know also you're exactly right Pamela every C cup is not made the same every D cup is not made the same so you, when you're done with surgery if you ask your surgeon to create a full C well, you know what? You might be a medium C in some bras, a full C in others, and you might be even a small D in some other bras because they're all cut differently. But the important thing is proportion. And that's why those pictures really play an important role in communicating between you and your doctor. So we've gone through Breast Augmentation 101. You all graduated. Congratulations. Hopefully you learned something on today's show. Next week, 
we're going to have a really good show. I want everyone to tune in next week. We're going to be talking about plastic surgery disasters. These are all kinds of problems people had going to different places, going to the, the clinics of plastic surgery that try and rush people in and out, going abroad to other countries, even going uh, to doctors that weren't really plastic surgeons here in this country, in the United States. We're going to talk about many different plastic surgery disasters. This is going to be a great show. You're going to hear some incredible stories that you absolutely will not believe. Join us next week on New Reflections when we talk about plastic surgery disasters. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein with Pamela Howard. Thanks for tuning in. We look forward to seeing you next week, Saturday, 12 to 1 Eastern Time, 9 to 10 Pacific on New Reflections. informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for New Reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend. Thank you.